Well, some of you looked more nervous watching me sing than I felt. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2 in our Bibles this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. It's definitely not in my comfort zone singing in front. I'd rather not sing up front, but uh, I want to invite you, if you have the ability to sing, or you think you have the ability to sing, you might get together with Pastor Toman, and um, we'd love to have you minister and serve the church with the gifts that God's given you. So, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to serve God, and it's a privilege to serve His church, the body of Christ. It really is. Um, what a great thought. We often sing that song. We don't sing it to that melody, but we often sing that song, Just As I Am, as an invitation hymn. What's an invitation? Well, they normally come at the end of the message when the preacher's done preaching and you wish he had stopped about ten minutes earlier. And, uh, and, then, and then he draws out the service for another however many minutes. Uh, and normally we sing a, a hymn of invitation. But really the invitation is just... That It's just you being invited to follow the instruction that God has given to you during the sermon from his word. What the Holy Spirit has moved in your heart about. What he's opened your eyes to see. Sometimes, sometimes it's sin in our hearts and our lives that God reveals to us during a sermon or during the preaching of his word. Sometimes uh, the Holy Spirit of God moves in our hearts to serve him in a different way or in a greater way than we already were. And uh, the invitation is just that. It's just an opportunity, a period of time uh, set aside for you and for me to respond to what God's done in our hearts during the message. And so, Just As I Am uh, is is a wonderful hymn. It talks about sin. Don't you like the message of that song? Uh... Just as I am, and then I come, I come to the Lord broken. You know, that's how we came to God. We came to him broken. (laughs) We were broken when he came to us, I should say it that way. And and he's able to fix us. We've been studying the book of Ephesians. We've just finished chapter 1, and what a chapter it was. We saw that God chose us. He chose to save us. And, uh, of course, there was something that had to be done, and about our sinfulness. And so Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on a cross to forgive us of our sins. The words, the theological words in the Bible, the words that God chose, uh, the word was redeemed, to buy back. Uh, A slave is the picture, someone who is owned by another. They have a slave master. A slave has a slave master. And the slave can't get away, and he does what his master tells him to do. And that's where you and I used to be. And our slave master was sin, and that's what we did. Everything everything in our lives was sinful. Even when we would try to do good, in our flesh, our flesh was defiled and it was sinful. And so God sent his son to shed his blood to pay the price for our sin. And and the word forgiveness shows up in chapter 1. We've been forgiven completely. If you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior... Do you realize that you've been forgiven of your sin, all of it, all of the sin before you were saved, all the sin that you and I sometimes fall into right now after we're saved, and any sin that we'll ever commit in our lives during our lifetimes on this earth, God forgave us of that sin, past, present, and future. It really is an incredible truth. And then, of course, we studied and we saw how God sealed us by the Holy Spirit. When you received Christ, you received the Holy Spirit of God. You were born again spiritually born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And he he calls it the earnest of our inheritance, of his inheritance in the saints, Christ's inheritance. We're his inheritance. Um, Sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. No one can take your salvation away from you if you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Not anybody. Uh, I couldn't take it away from you if I wanted to. You can't take it away from yourself. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. And then as we studied down through this passage, we saw that Paul wanted those believers to know Christ experientially. Not just come in, sit down, hear a nice sermon, or maybe not a nice sermon. You come and you hear a sermon, you say, wow, that's really, you know, good job, great speech. I heard about Christ for about 45 minutes, and now I'm ready to move on with my life. 
No, Paul said, I want you to know Jesus Christ experientially. There's someone, remember I said it this way, there's somebody you got to meet. There's somebody you have to meet. And uh, we all have different needs. We all have different trials. Life is full of trials. Job talked about man is born uh, for adversity. That's just the way it is. You and I go through those things, and we all have needs, but those needs can be met through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you lack wisdom, he is wisdom. If you lack peace, he is peace. If you don't have hope, he is hope. You see, he is everything. He is our salvation. And Paul wanted these believers to know these things about him. There really is something, though, that we need to consider as we think about God choosing us and Jesus Christ dying for us and forgiving us and we're sealed by the Spirit of God and and, and the power of the Godhead, the power that raised Jesus Christ up from the dead. He talked about this. All the fullness of God is directed toward you and toward me so that we'll have what we need to go through this life to be what God wants us to be. But there really is something, though, we need to think about. And, uh, and it's something that's not pleasant to think about. I'll, I'll tell you that right up front. And as Paul was writing this letter from a prison there in about AD 64 to the church at Ephesus, his heart was full of joy for them and love for them. He'd heard about their faith and their love for one another, their faith in Christ. But then I wonder what Paul's response was when he came to verse 1 of chapter 2. And the Holy Spirit of God began to talk to him and tell him, this is what you need to write down, Paul. And Paul maybe began to write with that quill and that ink. I wonder if he paused and drew back at all. I don't know that he did. Because what he writes about in the first few verses of chapter 2 is what we're going to think about this morning in the time that we have And again, it's not flattering at all to you and to me, but it is absolutely true like all of the Bible is. And really, as Paul writes to these believers, he 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 reminds them about who they used to be. And I might ask the question this way as we begin the message this morning, uh, what was it that God had to work with uh, before you were saved? What, What was it that God had to work with before you were saved? Um, we had some family photographs taken this summer. And, and, you know, I have some pictures of my kids and different in my office and around the house. And, and they're pretty photogenic. They normally do a great job. And there's some great pictures, you know. And I love, I, I have one in my office and they're all, they're all laughing. Whatever it was, the photographer was getting ready to take the picture. And they just began to laugh about something. And it is so just natural. And they're just, I love it. I set it there and I look at it, you know, and I just... I love, I love seeing them in that condition. Uh, but sometimes you and I go off, you know, with our family. First of all, how many of you like family photos? I didn't say looking at them. How many of you like experiencing what it goes into the family photos? See, grandmothers. That's all I see is grandmothers' hands up. See. Uh, anyway, uh, and, and some of you grandmothers are the one that, that cause us to have to go back for these family photos, I might add. But, but whatever the case, to me, it's always miserable. I, I can't stand them. I, I don't know. I just can't stand them. You know, uh, Cindy would tell you that I get, I don't know if she'd say I get cranky, but I probably get a little cranky, you know, the day of going. It's just miserable. Why are we doing this to ourselves is, I think, how I verbalized it to my wife before. What are we doing this for? You know, it's just, it's, it's awful. It's stressful. And, and the kids got to perform. You know, I mean, we only got this niche of time and they better come through for us, you know. And, but anyway, most of the time they do a great job. But this summer... Not so much. It was horrible. And it was. It was everything I had imagined it to be. <laughs> they lived up to my expectations. And, uh, and we, you know, I think Mrs. Steinbach had come to me this summer and said, hey, you know, we got to get your uh, family photo on the website, church website updated. You know, it's getting a little out of date. I said, yeah, we got to do that. You know, so it's not, not just grandma. It's Mrs. Steinbach now, too, you know, my secretary. Anyway. Uh, it's all this pressure. So here we are, family photos, and we had the photographer come, and it was a beautiful day, beautiful setting, and we were all wearing our outfits, you know, for the family photo. And, and then, uh, I don't know which one of the kids started it, but it was, they were the fakest smiles you had ever seen in your life. It wasn't, they didn't have a bad attitude. It was just plastic. <laughs> you know, it was just horrible. And every one of them, it was, like, it was like contagious. You know, next thing you know, I'm doing the same thing. It was just horrible. And, uh, 
And, and, you know, it's like, I can't put that on the website, you know. What am I supposed to do with that? There's nothing I can do with that. You know, it, it's, these, are, these are worthless. Um, I, was th- I thought of that this week as I was thinking about this passage. You know, what did God have to work with? Sometimes, sometimes you and I have a task to accomplish, and how are we supposed to accomplish that with this? I just don't have what I need to, to accomplish what needs to be done. Well, God took upon himself the responsibility to save you and me. And uh, what did he have to work with when it came to you and me? What was it that, that I brought to the table for God to work with? What was it that you brought to the table for God to work with? Well, look at verse number one of Ephesians chapter two. It says, and you... Hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins? Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our manner of life, is what that word conversation means, our manner of life in time past, in the lust of the flesh, Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Look back to verse 1. You see the italics there in your Bibles? It says, and you, and then it says, it has italics. The words are written in italics. Hath he quickened? Whenever you see italics in your translation of the Bible, it, those are words that the translators inserted to help us, to help it make sense as we read it. But there are no Greek words for the words that are in italics. I appreciate that. It's very honest and upfront of them to do that. And they, it's not wrong for them to put that in there because that's what the passage says. But let's read it without the italics for just a moment. And you, who were dead in trespasses and sins. What did God have to work with when he saved your soul from death and hell? And the answer is not very pretty at all. The answer is not very pretty at all. We were dead. We were deceived, believing lies. And really, we were doomed for death and hell for all of eternity. And then we'll end the sermon this morning on a positive note. But most of it's not going to be positive. But it's, it is important for us to remember who we used to be. And maybe you're here this morning. And as I preach this sermon this morning, God's going to convict your heart. And he's going to communicate to you, that's not who you used to be. That's who you are right now. And if, that, if God convicts your heart of that this morning, I want to encourage you right up front. I want to invite you right up front, just as you are, sinful, full of sin, and spiritually dead, I want to invite you right up front to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Not, not as some of these paintings uh, portray Christ as effeminate and a bit helpless. But I want you to invite the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The Greek word for his name, Lord, is kurios, supreme authority. There is no one who has more authority than Jesus Christ. I want you to invite him and ask him to save your soul from what we're going to talk about this morning. Okay, let's pray, then we'll look at this passage. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you'd help us by your word. Teach us, I pray. Uh, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes. And, Father, I pray as believers that our hearts would rejoice in what we have in Christ. And for some here who may not be saved, Lord, I pray, be merciful to them as you've been merciful to me. And, Lord, I pray that you would save their souls from death and hell to come. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So the pictures really never turned out. And so we don't have them because there was nothing to work with. There, there are times in our lives where 
we're up against something. We have something to accomplish, and we just don't have what we need to accomplish it. Uh, later, earlier this fall, a part of my mower broke. And it worked for a while, broken, but then I decided, you know, I'm going to buy the part. And uh, it was a bracket, and uh, the part that was broken actually was threaded into the bracket. And so I found out I could just buy that little part, and it was, you know, it was only like 40 bucks. And then I could install it myself, and, and uh, so I did. I ordered the part. It came in the mail, I, and uh, I used every bit of power that I had to unthread the old broken part. And what I found, though, is I should have used heat because the more I leveraged that part to unscrew it, finally the metal literally just broke right off. And the threads were at least, it was at least one inch in diameter, and literally it just broke right off inside. So I tried to drill it out, you know? And uh, my drill got a little off, uh, and it tore up the threads. And so I ended up buying the whole new part along with the other part that I had had bought, but it came down. By the time I got finished trying to make it work, I really had a part, and I still have that part, by the way, like many of you have parts like that at your house. Uh, And somebody tell me how long I'm supposed to keep that broken part that's worthless before I leave this morning, because I really would like to know. But, uh, you know, that part to me is absolutely worthless. There is nothing. I don't have the power and the authority. I don't have the ability to make that part do anything. It, it's broken. It's shot. I mean, I, I can't even install a broken part. That part, it's so broken now. It's worthless to me. But God, God looked at you and me who were broken. And, and not just broken, but he uses the word dead. And God Almighty, not because of what we brought to the table, but because of who he is. And again, when I say the word God, that's who we're talking about here. You know, uh, we live in a day where there are uh, superheroes, you know, are a big thing, and they have all these incredible powers, and, and they can, some can fly, and some can do, they can do just about anything. They can do all kinds of things that are kind of crazy and a little spooky, you know, and there's a lot of superhero talk these days. Uh, in, in, the, in the time of the Greek Empire, there were a lot of gods and even during the Roman Empire and throughout human history, gods in Egypt, there were multiple gods that people worshipped. But the problem was, none of them really existed. But I'm talking about the one true God who does exist. I'm talking about the one true God who spoke. And he created the heavens and the earth and you and me. It really is incredible, and he is powerful. And, and, and we were broken, and we were dead, but God was able to save us. And I want to look at what he was able to save us from. So what did God have to work with? That's the question. Number one, we were dead. Notice again verse 1. He says, and you, and I'm going to read it without the italics, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, Paul's writing to a church. This letter is to you and to me. It was specifically and originally to the church at Ephesus. And he says to them, you were dead. In other words, he's talking to people who are alive now, spiritually alive, but he reminds them there was a time in your life when you were spiritually dead. And again, I'm probably speaking to both those people here today. Some of you, I could say, there was a time in your life when you were spiritually dead. And to others in this room, you might know in your heart that you are spiritually dead right now. You've never received Jesus Christ. So Paul reminds them, there was a time when you were spiritually dead. There was a time in a spiritually dead person's life, they're unable to understand or appreciate spiritual things. There's nothing they can do of themselves to please God. A person who is physically dead doesn't respond to physical stimulation. He doesn't hear the conversation going on in the funeral parlor. He doesn't hunger. The person whose body lays in the casket there doesn't hunger. He doesn't thirst. He doesn't feel any pain. He's dead. And just as a person who is physically dead doesn't respond to physical stimulation, so too a person that is spiritually dead doesn't respond to spiritual stimulation. He doesn't have an appetite for spiritual things. Why would I ever come and hear somebody preach the Bible. It's dead to me. 
you know, I hear the words, but that's as far as it goes. Maybe that's you here this morning. And, and for all of us here, there was a time in our lives where that's the way it was. You may be spiritually alive now. You hear the word of God now and your heart is encouraged and sometimes it's convicted and you know it to be true. But there was a time in our lives before we were saved when it was, these things were spiritually, we were spiritually dead to these things. They didn't make sense. We didn't understand them. It sounded like foolishness to us. And God says it that way. It's foolish to those, those people who aren't saved. And so an unsaved person doesn't have an appetite for spiritual food. He doesn't hunger or thirst for the word of God. He doesn't have any desire to spend more time with believers. You know, get me in, get me out as soon as possible. I have no use for it, this person might say. And that's who we used to be. A person who has never received Jesus Christ as his personal savior isn't just sick. It's not, he's not sick. That's not the problem. He's dead. It's not like he needs a little IV to get him going again, to get him back up to normal. I can remember in college, uh, a, a young man in the, in the class with me, he had a disorder of some kind, and if his levels got, if they dropped too low, his sugar levels dropped too low, he just would pass out, and he did. Mike had just passed out. Next thing you know, he literally fell right out of his desk, and he's on the floor. And... Uh, and it was like he was dead, but he wasn't dead. And as soon as they were able to get the right fluids flowing through his body again, he was totally normal. And he went to class, his classes the rest of the day. He said, I don't feel quite normal, but he was able to go to classes the rest of, his, the, rest of the day. The problem for him wasn't that he was dead. He just needed to be revived. But God here is talking about someone not who needs to be revived, but someone who actually is dead. They're spiritually dead. Uh, This person doesn't need resuscitation. He needs a resurrection. Do you remember back in the Gospel of John, chapter 11? Jesus was ministering with his disciples, and they're out and about, and he's healing people, and he's teaching, and, and word comes to him that a good friend of his, Lazarus, is sick. Lazarus is sick, and word comes to Jesus that Lazarus is sick, and would you please come, and would you heal him and make him better again? And Jesus doesn't do it, and he tells us why in John. He says, I've waited until he dies, and this is a paraphrase, but he said, I waited until he died so that I could prove to you who I am and so that you'll believe. Okay. And so finally, he says, okay, let's go. And he gathers the disciples up, and he says, let's go, and and let's go to where Lazarus is. Now, Lazarus is dead at this point. He's dead. And Jesus begins to come up to the town where he's dead. He's buried. He's been buried buried four days, the Bible says. And Martha comes out, and, and Martha, the sister of Lazarus, the deceased man, says, Jesus, if you'd come earlier, you could have healed him. Why didn't you come earlier? You could have healed him. It would have been okay. And Jesus is moved. And later Jesus talks to Mary. And Mary asks him the same question. Jesus, had you come earlier, you could have healed him. He wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, take me to the tomb. And they do. They take Jesus to the tomb and they they bring him to the tomb. And Jesus says, roll the stone away. And Martha says, Lord, he's been dead four days. And literally the Bible says, Martha says this, Lord, he stinketh. I mean, it's been four days, Lord. We don't want to open the, we don't want to open the tomb to the... We don't want to open the, the door to the tomb. I mean, it's going to smell. I mean, you can imagine what it must have been for Martha, been like for Martha and Mary. You know, Lord, what are you doing? What are you trying? You didn't come when you could have healed him. Now he's dead, and now you want to insult us all, not only by his death, but the smell of his death. But nevertheless, they roll the stone away from the tomb. And then Jesus Christ... And again, when you think of Jesus, don't just think of some historical figure who is a good teacher, who was born in Bethlehem, who we have our children's program, uh, Christmas program about, who died on a cross, and, uh, you know, that's how the story goes. Don't think of him as just a story. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one of God. God calls him the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And Jesus said, roll the stone away, and they did. And Jesus lifted up his voice, it says with a loud voice, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible records that Lazarus got up 
a dead man whose body had begun to decay, got up and walked out of the tomb alive. And Jesus said, take off his clothes, take off the garments that he's been wrapped with. Help him out. He's got to get some air here. It's the idea. And here's my point, and here's the thought as we look at this passage. For many of us in this room, we are alive now. The Bible means something. The Spirit of God lives within us. We're alive. But remember, there was a time in your life when you were dead spiritually. And you didn't need to be resuscitated. You didn't need some IV. You didn't need a little bit of Bible or a little bit of religion. You were dead. And God Almighty, by Lord Jesus Christ, raised you from the dead. You were born again spiritually by the Holy Spirit of God. You see, the world is full of problems. The world is full of people, so we're full of problems. And we're, and we're part of that. You and I sin. But you know what? There are all kinds of things the world has need of today. And, and there are people who are struggling with this, or they're addicted to this, or they're, they're full of hatred over here, or they won't forgive this person over here, and families are coming apart, and people hate each other, and people kill each other, and murder each other, and the, fur, the world is full of sin. But that's because the world is full of death. People are spiritually dead. You know, the Bible, when it talks about death, it really talks about separation. That's what the word death means. It has the idea of separation. And really, the Bible talks about death in three ways. There's spiritual death. That is when mankind is separated from God by sin. All, all four of my children, I almost said all three, but I do have four. All four of my children were born into this world spiritually dead. I'm being real transparent with you here. This isn't a matter of me standing up here and saying, folks, you are spiritually dead, but my children were born into the world spiritually alive because they were the children of a pastor. No, no, no. I was born into this world spiritually dead, separated from God. My wife was born in this world spiritually dead. Everybody is born into this world spiritually dead. My four children, as beautiful, as cute as they were, Thinking of one that wasn't so cute when he was born. But, but most all of them, most of them were cute when they were born. All of them were adorable, right? As parents, we adore them. Oh, they're so cute. You know, and some of us are like, did he come from me? You know, whatever. But you know what? All of our children were born spiritually dead. You're laughing about that. We could go further with that. Are you sure this is the right one? This... Did you mix him up? You know. <laughs> anyway, all right, moving on. I got the old head shake. All right, moving on. Here's my point. It's very simple. We're all born in the world spiritually dead, okay? The Bible talks about how sin entered into the world through Adam. And the Bible says that because of Adam's sin, we've all sinned. And death has entered into the world because of our sin. We all sin. We're all born spiritually dead. We're all born into the world. And think of this, separated from God, our creator. Unable to communicate with him. His word is taught to us. We hear it, and it goes right on past. And we really don't have any use for him or for his word. That's how we were born into the world, spiritually dead. There's another kind of death the Bible talks about, and that's one that you and I are very familiar with, and it's called physical death. We're familiar with that. And what happens when someone dies physically, um, we're separated from them. And that's what's so heartbreaking about uh, a death when someone dies. Physically, we're separated from them. We used to walk and talk with them. We used to fellowship with them. We used to laugh with them. We used to argue with them. And, and we're brokenhearted because we can't ever do that again in this life. It's over. There's separation, physical death. We understand that. Physical death. And when someone dies physically, their physical body goes into the ground. It, we lay it to rest. And the soul and the spirit immediately, for a child of God, goes to be with the Lord forever. And a person who has never received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, when they die physically, their body goes into the ground and their soul goes to a place called hell for all of eternity. And that's the third kind of death the Bible talks about. There's spiritual death. We're all born in the world spiritually dead. There's physical death. We know what that's all about. 
and there's eternal death. Eternal death is eternal separation between God, the creator, and his creation, everybody who rejects the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, to be born again, to be made alive spiritually, one has to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Jesus Christ said that. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life, life. No man cometh unto the Father. We can say, no man goes to heaven. No man is reconciled with God, Jesus said, unless he accept, he, uh, accept by me. Except through the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I, Jesus said that he was the life. In him is life. It was life and is life. He is life. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You see, you either have received Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as your personal Savior, and he has given you life because he is life, and he is in you, and you are in him. You are one. Or you have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God, the message of the Gospel that Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and lives. You've received it. If you've received it, then you've received Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, you have life. But if you've rejected him, then you've rejected eternal life and you are still dead in your sins. Are you dead in your sins this morning? Everybody in this room was born into this world spiritually dead. Dead. Dead spiritually. And And I've illustrated it already. No appetite for spiritual things. You drove by church buildings and thought, those guys are a bunch of ridiculous losers. Who would ever go there? Who would ever do that? It's such a religion. I'm bigger than that. I don't need a religious crutch. But those of us who have been made alive by the word of God, by the Lord Jesus Christ, no, it's not a religious crutch. Uh, Jesus Christ is our everything. He is our life. Without him, we were spiritually dead. So we were dead. Secondly, we were deceived. Notice in verse number two, the beginning part. He says, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The beginning part says, Remember, church, remember believers, and that's who Paul's talking to. He says, Remember believers. Those of you who are now alive, you used to be dead, he says in verse number one. And now in verse number two, really he says, you used to walk according to the course of this world. You did whatever the spirit or the society around you did. Whatever they did, you did. That's what you used to do. And you were deceived. You did whatever was going on around you. You drank whatever they drank. You smoked whatever they smoked. You inhaled whatever they inhaled. You listened to whatever they listened to. You worshipped whatever they worshipped. You lived how they lived. You dressed how they dressed. You were of the course of this world. That's who you used to be. And the word I've chosen is deceived. You were deceived. You see, before we received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we walked according, notice, to the course of this world. We were deceived by the, you see it in verse 2, the spirit of this age. In other words... Before we were saved, our decisions and our lifestyles, what we believed, was determined by whatever the trends of our society dictated to us. Now, we live in a world that's hostile against God. They don't want anything to do with God. The word course in verse number two is interesting. It means an age or a period of time during which certain things happen or a certain spirit or attitude prevails. A period of time where a certain attitude prevails. What's the prevailing attitude of our day, of our age? What's the course, the direction of our world today? We could discuss that, I suppose. But uh, just think throughout history. There have been different ages. The age of enlightenment. The age of exploration. The age of enrichment. And these have come and gone and come again. The age of darkness. The age of adventure, the age of empowerment, the age of persecution, where even religions persecuted people. Not because the Bible called for it, because that was the course of the world. And everybody got in on it. 
that the age of entitlement, don't I deserve this or that? The age of rebellion, the age of entertainment, that might be the age we're living in. The age of compromise or the age of tolerance. It could go on and on, this list, the course of this world. The general spirit of the world is fleshly, though. It's devilish. In 1 John 2 and verse 15, John warned a group of believers not to love the world. Because the, the, the world goes through phases. And, and, and there are different ages in where the world is... is uh, it could be kind of described, well, there, 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 there's an age of rebellion where there's lots of wars and fightings. And then there's, a, there's an age of compromise where we all just come together. You know, we, we all just love each other and we just all get together and we forget about truth completely. And John warned the believers, he said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And my question is this, who determines the course of this world? I mean, the course changes from time to time, but who determines the course of this world? And the answer is in verse number two, the latter part. He says, the course of this world is according to the prince of the power of the air. In other words, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, the evil one, has influence and is the director of the course of the ages of the earth. He directs it. And guess what? The world just kind of goes along with it. In fact, we go along with it so heartily that we actually begin to condemn the people who don't go along with it. As intolerant. You are so intolerant. I'm tolerant. You are so intolerant. In fact, you are so intolerant, I hate to admit it, but I might even be intolerant of you. Now, they don't go that far, but you get the idea. And that should ring a little bit true, a little close to home in the day in which we live. Who directs the course of this world? And the answer is given in verse 2, the prince of the power of the air. The air around us has an influence. I'm talking about just air in general. We breathe it. It's good. But the influence of the devil upon society, upon the earth, is as encompassing as the air is around us. The air around us exerts a continual pressure, even though you and I don't notice it. It has a continual pressure, even in this room. There's, a, there's an element of pressure, but we don't really notice it. We don't feel it. We don't sense it. People in the world, when I'm talking about the prince of the power of the air, it's not like people get up in this, in this world today, at least not many of them get up and say, okay, I want to serve the devil today. I want to do what the devil wants me to do today. There may be some people like that, but most people don't wake up and think those thoughts. They get up and they think, what do I want to do today? What do I feel like doing today? And that's what they do. But what they don't realize is, just like the air in this room has an effect on our physical bodies, so too does the prince of the power of the air have a spiritual influence and effect on the people who are not born again, who are not alive in Christ. How about you? Are you living your life according to the course of this world? You say, well, I just didn't feel like going. You know, I just, this is just how I do it. You know, this is just how I'm going to serve the Lord. And I'm talking to believers now. I'm asking you as believers, are you living your life according to the course of this world? Because the person who's setting the course of the world is the prince of the power of the air. So if you're going to go along with that, the course of the age, you know, it changes from time to time. But it's really all still directed by the evil one. Believer, don't allow yourself to follow the course of this world. Maybe there are some parents in this room and you're parenting your children according to the course of this world. Maybe there's some church members in this room this morning, and you know what? You've kind of carved out a niche for church in your life, and you've decided, you know what? This is where it's going to be, and we're going to go here at this time, and that's it. You know, we're not doing, we're not going any. Listen, here's my only prayer for you as a, as a church member, as a child of God. Let the Holy Spirit determine those things. Let the Word of God direct your steps. 
We may live in an age where the course of the world is going that way, or it's going that way, or whatever way it's going, but you and I as God's people must not allow ourselves to be directed by the course of this world that's set by the prince of the power of the air. Don't do it. Recognize what's happening and say, Lord, direct my steps by your word. You don't have to answer to me. You'll not stand before me someday at the judgment seat of Christ, which is a place of reward. You and I are going to stand before the Lord God Almighty. And let's be able to stand before him and and, and give account to him. That is my only, only desire for you as members of Trinity Baptist Church, that you'd be able to stand before him that day and not be ashamed. A believer knows the truth. We know it. And yet we're warned, be not deceived. In Galatians chapter 6, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. In John 8 and verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews which, Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, if you'll continue in my word, and the truth shall make you free. Um, I noticed thirdly that not only were we dead and we were deceived, but Paul addresses for us, uh, really identifies for us that we were also disobedient. Notice in verse number two, the very last statement there. He says, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The, the, the prince of the power of the air works. He's actively working in people who are not saved. The children of disobedience. And there was a time in our lives as believers where that's, we still disobey sometimes. That's true. But there was a time in our lives where that's all we did. That's all we did. I've known people who, they can't really tell a joke without lying, if that's even possible. That they're a liar. Everything they say, it's not quite true. It gets a little fuzzy because they're trying to impress somebody. It's just who they are. And and here's the the wonderful truth. We're going to find out, but God can save that person. And he wants to. So much that he sent his son to die on the cross for that person. But Paul's reminding us, this is who you, who you used to be. You used to be disobedient. And by the way, the translation here is incredible. Paul wasn't merely saying that we used to disobey God sometimes. He literally used, we literally used to be the children, the huyas is the Greek word, of disobedience. The sons, the children of disobedience. That's who we were. I'm the son of Raymond and the son of Kathleen. That's who I am. But when I was born into this world, and, and you, we all have physical parents, but you know when we were born in this world, we were born the, children's, the children of the evil one? Do you know that? Now, and today we gather ourselves together as a group of believers today, having been born again, been made alive, By the Holy Spirit of God, we've been born again into the family of God. And so instead of calling the evil one our father and doing his will and living like him, we now call God our father. It's awesome. But he reminds them, you used to be the children of disobedience. You know, as I've grown older, I've gotten to know my my father better because of how I think. And I go, wow, hmm. I bet dad struggled with that. Or, you know, I got this from my dad. Have you, ever, have you noticed that, too, as you've gotten older? Did you notice that? You know, you might not even know your physical father. Maybe he died when you were really young, or maybe, uh, maybe he divorced your mother, or she divorced him, and he hasn't been part of your life at all. But you can look at yourself, and you get a pretty good idea of who your dad was. You know, my dad must have struggled with that. And I've even asked Dad, Dad, did you, have you struggled with this? Yeah, well, we talk about that, you know. Mm-hmm. So what did you do, Dad? How, how do you, Dad, why, why did you, why, why am I inclined to make this decision? You know, we can think about this. And if you're here and you've never received Jesus Christ, you are the child of disobedience. And that is the prince of the power of the air. He's not talking about God, he's talking about the evil one. And so Paul's telling us that we used to be the sons of the disobedient one, Satan. You know, one of our first inclinations 
as children was to disobey our parents. I never had to teach my kids to disobey, but I can remember them looking at me when they could hardly even, they could barely move. They had just begun to move, you know. They're actually a person. They're beginning to move, you know. And, uh, and they would begin to move, and we had this little stereo system that didn't work. And, uh, and uh, some of those things, tell me how long I'm supposed to keep that stuff. Anyway, so, so uh, and Ian, you know, he would, he would look at me, and I'd say, don't touch the stereo. Or in that case, don't touch the buttons. And then it was like a race. He's like army crawling on his stomach. Like, you can't beat me to the radio. Come on, buddy, stop touching the buttons. But he... It was just in him. You know what? It was in me too. And it was in you too. And I'm not just talking about it. it's kind of cute when they disobey when they're little kids. Because it's really not all that cute. Because it's in there and it grows. And it infects. And it really is putrefying and disgusting and in need of salvation. But you know that God has overcome the disobedient spirit of this age. God has overcome the disobedient spirit of this age, your spirit and mine. God gave us his law, the Ten Commandments, to reveal our disobedience on Mount Sinai. Jesus Christ came to this earth and he fulfilled the law. He obeyed it all. Jesus did, the Bible says, always those things that please the Father. In John chapter 8 it says that. God calls us under repentance from a life of disobedience following the will of our Father talking about the devil, to obedience, following the will of the Holy Spirit of God. And the result of mankind's fall into sin was so complete that an unsaved person really has no natural interest in obeying the gospel. Our first inclination is to disobey God. Even after we were born again, we find it difficult to obey God, don't we? And to believe that God's way, it's difficult for us sometimes, even us who are saved, to believe that God's way is good and acceptable and perfect. Sometimes we question him. Sometimes, even after we're saved, Satan deceives us into thinking that our way is best and God's way or his will only will be a burden to us. And our life would be so much happier and peaceful if we didn't have these things in our lives. That's a lie of the devil. And he's telling us, you used to be the children of disobedience. Notice in verse number three, we were defiled. Verse number three, it says this, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh. Lust of the flesh has the idea of a natural desire. God tells us before we were saved, we were controlled by natural desires. The flesh is human nature, lust, strong desire. And by the way, not all strong desires are evil. Prior to the Passover, Jesus said, With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Same word. Strong desire, Jesus. I have a strong desire to eat this with you. The Apostle Paul wrote to a young pastor and he told him, If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Strong desire, it's a good thing. So some strong desires can produce commendable results, but there is an evil side to the strong desires of the human flesh. And that is what Paul was referring to when he said in verse 3, the middle part, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We used to be controlled by that. Many people tried to disguise their defiled flesh with religion. It won't work. Some people try to cover up their defiled flesh with refinements. You know, dress a certain way, look a certain way, go out with a certain group of people. And we can kind of pretty it up a little bit. Some people uh, try to disguise the, their defiled flesh with wealth, or, but underneath the surface, the lust burns like a seething volcano that from time to time erupts and defiles. That's who we used to be. And because we were dead and we were deceived and we were disobedient and we were defiled, we were doomed. Look at the end of verse number three. He says it this way, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. This is who we used to be, even as others. Children, children by natural descent. We were born of sinful parents into a sin-cursed world. My children were born that way too. Psalm 51 and verse 5, David uh, talked about this. He said, Behold, I was shapen. He's talking about in his mother's womb. I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. 
See, we're all, we were all born with a sinful nature. We all deserve the judgment and wrath of God who is holy. We all deserve eternal death and hellfire forever. And that was our future. But in heaven, and even today in heaven, around the throne of God, the seraphim says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I don't really believe that even you and I who are saved really have a good understanding of how outraged God is by the sinfulness of mankind. What an insult sin is to the person of God, of a holy God. Or how our sin fires the the flames of his wrath. You see, we were doomed. We were without sin, or we were without God. We were in sin, without Christ, without hope. We were sinners by birth. We were sinners by choice. We were controlled by the evil one. And we were destined to live under the wrath and judgment of God forever. I warned you up front, this isn't all that positive. But Paul, in the Spirit of God, even more than the Apostle Paul, wants these believers to know this is who you were. And in the very next verse, in verse number four, the first two words say this, but God. Now, I'm being real honest and very transparent with you this morning. I was dead in my sins. I was deceived. I was disobedient the child of the devil. I was doomed because of that. And my life was defiled. And I want you to know, God Almighty saved my soul. And for many of us in this room, we can say amen to that because he's done the same thing for us. He's done the same thing for you that he's done for me. And I want you to know this morning, if you've never received Jesus Christ, it's pretty It's pretty maybe repulsive or maybe an affront to your thinking this morning, but it's the truth of the word of God of where you are before a holy God, not compared to other people, not compared to me or compared to your neighbor, but compared to a holy God. And the verse says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were still in those trespasses and sins, sent his only son to die in our place to save us. That's the message of the gospel. You know what the question that comes to my mind is? How can God love me, who was a sinner, dead, deceived, defiled, disobedient, and doomed? How can God, how could he ever love me that way? And I'll close with an illustration. It's from the Old Testament, from the life of David. David was king over Israel. He had multiple sons and daughters. He was older in life. And one of his sons, because of a decision David made or did not make, began to hate him. The the son's name was Absalom. And Absalom, David's son, David's the king, Absalom, who was a prince, killed his brother, Amnon. And David did nothing about it. Forty years went by. And David, David's son, hated him. Absalom hated his father. And Absalom would go to the gate of the city of Jerusalem, and Absalom would stand at the gate, and people would, in those days, they would go to the king and the king's counselors for, for matters of law. Like if you had a problem with your your neighbor stole your sheep or whatever, you'd go to the king and he'd help make it right. And Absalom, uh, David's son, would stand at the gate. And the Bible says that he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And he would stand at the gate and people would come by and he'd say, so what are you coming to see the king for today? And they'd say, well, you know, whatever, my goat, whatever, you know, and sheep and problems with my neighbor, whatever. And he'd say, well, I don't know if he'll be able to help you, but I wish I could help you. I know if... I know if I were in a position, I'd really help you. I'd take care of you. And the Bible actually says he would kiss the hands of the men who came, kiss their necks and send them away. And the Bible says he stole the hearts of the people, the men of Israel. Time went on. Finally, Absalom began to get multiplied men together and men began to follow him. And he really led an uprising against his own father, the king of Israel, David. To the point where King David actually gathered his household and said, we need to leave now. It's not going to be safe for us. My son is out for revenge and and I want us to leave lest we all are hurt in some way. And he literally leaves the, the capital city of Jerusalem and they flee into the wilderness. 
And Absalom, the Bible says, goes into the, into the capital city of Jerusalem. And the Bible says that he spread a tent out on the housetop of his own father's house. Now, in those days, and the Bible never condones this, but it is accurate in history, and it records for us that David had concubines, ten of them. And the Bible says that Absalom spread a tent on the rooftop of his father's house, and in the sight of all of Israel, went in unto his father's concubines. You can imagine the hatred. You can imagine uh, the hatred Absalom had for his father, the shame he was trying to bring to his father. Well, the, the insurrection grew. David and his family are fleeing around the nation of Israel, what is modern-day Israel, and, and, and Absalom is pursuing him. And, and literally, in one battle, 20,000 men died. That's how serious this was. And David had told the men as they were going to battle, he said, whatever happens to, to my son, I don't want you to hurt him. I don't want you to hurt my son. This was the man who hated him and wanted him dead and was trying to take his throne away from him. The Bible says in the battle that Absalom was riding along through a forest and he had long hair and he was quite a man apparently and his long hair got caught up in a tree and the, 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 the mule kept running and Absalom was hanging there by his hair. And uh, the captain of King David's army, Joab, came and he took three darts and he stuck them into the heart of the son of King David. And then the Bible talks about ten young men basically hacked Absalom to pieces, buried him um, under a pile of rocks, and word came back to King David, Absalom, your son, is dead. Now, from a perspective, just national security and, and a son who hated his father, and this has been going on for a long, long time, we might say, you know, King David might have said, thank you, Joab. Thanks for taking care of Absalom. Now we can get our king, kingdom back in order. But you know what King David did? The Bible says he began to weep. And he began to cry and he said, Absalom, my son Absalom. And then he said this, would to God that I had died instead of you. And when we think about who we used to be, dead in sins, deceived, disobedient, defiled, and doomed, who were we that God would have saved us? And yet, the very love of a father from, that we can see in the life of David to his son, a rebellious son, a son who hated him, a son who wanted nothing to do with him. And in fact, a son who wanted to take everything from him. I think of God and the love that he gave to us when he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross, to take our sins upon his body, to suffer our shame and our death so that you and I could be reconciled to a holy God. This morning, I'm not asking you how good you've been or how good you are compared to your classmates or compared to your neighbors or compared to your coworkers. I'm not asking you to compare yourself to other people. I'm asking you very simply this. Spiritually speaking, you're alive physically, but spiritually speaking, are you alive in Christ, having received Christ as your personal Savior, or are you dead in your sins? Because you might... There might be someone here this morning and you're trying awfully hard. But the truth is, you're dead. And only God can make you alive. And he will. Would you stand to your feet with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning? No one looking around. I've gone long. I know that and I apologize for it. But I want to ask you a couple questions this morning before we leave. How many of you would say with a lifted hand, Pastor Ferguson... I used to be dead spiritually, completely dead and hopeless. But God saved me from my sin, and I praise his name for that. If that's you and you're a born-again child of God, you're alive in Christ, would you raise your hand good and high that I can see it? Be honest before God this morning. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Maybe this morning you couldn't raise your hand, and I appreciate your honesty. But with heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe this morning... God, through his word, has helped you to see what is so valuable about this book and why we gather as a church to praise the name of God Almighty for saving our souls and why we live to serve him instead of living to serve ourselves. Maybe this morning you'd say, Pastor Ferguson, I couldn't raise my hand because I am still dead in my trespasses and sin. 
And as you've talked about this morning, I am doomed. And I need God Almighty to save my soul from death and hell. If that's you, with heads bowed and eyes closed, friend, God will save you. Ask him to. Believe upon him alone, not on yourself, and he'll save your soul. You'd say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I need to be saved. If that's you, would you raise your hand good and high that I can see it this morning? Anyone like that at all in this room? Pastor Seth, pray for me. I need to be made alive. I need God to make me alive. Anyone like that at all? All right. Pastor Scott, would you please come? And and I'm going to pray in just a moment, and then we'll take our hymnals and we'll sing with Pastor Scott. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless your word today. God, we rejoice today because of the love that you showed toward us. Love that is beyond our comprehending. Why you would ever love us. But you did. And you sent your son to save us. And Father, I pray that we would live our lives rejoicing in light of this truth. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. 106, hymn number 106, How Deep the Father's Love. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He would give His only Son to 